This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello, you're listening to Talking Flutes, and today I'm chatting to Andrea Kuypers. Now, Andrea is based in Scotland, and in normal times, she had an eclectic lifestyle, performing and touring in classical, pop and jazz orchestras. She's an established teacher from school to university level, runs flute summers courses in France, and has a thriving flute choir called Flutes Unlimited. So it's lovely to chat to you, Andrea. It's nice to see you as well. Hello. Hi, lovely to see you too. And you are in your house in Glasgow? Yes, I'm in my top floor tenement, uh, currently in my spare bedroom where I had to move my piano uh, because the ceiling fell down in my actual music room two weeks ago, uh, narrowly missing my baby grand piano, which you can see behind me. So uh, it had to be a quick uh, removal job, uh, moving all my boxes of music, etc., and resetting for online teaching in the spare bedroom. So just awaiting all sorts of insurance quotes, et cetera, et cetera, before I can get back into my room. Dear, oh dear. So as if we haven't got it bad enough with the pandemic having to change anything, you know, I have to change many other things. Yes, a bit challenging, but anyway, we got there. Yeah. Most of my pupils were very impressed with my fairy lights and my mirrored wardrobes in this room because they weren't used to seeing that on the Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take a picture of you at the, at the end of our chat and we'll put it up. <laughs> now, you have a very eclectic career. It would be lovely if you could tell us about the start of your journey, you know, maybe from college and how you, what you did when you finished college, how you got started, because you didn't start off in Glasgow, did you? No, I did not. I started off in Liverpool, grew up in Liverpool. Um, my dad uh, played organ at uh, the, his local, their, their, their local church. Um, well, kind of harmonium, not the big pipe organ, but little harmonium. My mum and dad had both played piano when they were young, so they were very keen uh, to get us all onto music lessons. I'm the oldest of four children. So I started piano lessons when I was five and uh, I think was quite good at it. And then my primary school teacher, when I was in last year of primary, suggested I had already played lots of recorders and things at primary school. And my primary school teacher suggested that I go on to play a woodwind instrument. And um, she actually played the clarinet. So she sent my mum off to the music shop to hire a clarinet. And I was so excited, came running in from school, have you got my clarinet? And uh, she said, oh no, they didn't have any clarinets, so I got you a flute. And I just said, that's not what you were supposed to get. And she said, well, if you don't like it, we'll take it back and get a clarinet, but you'll have to play it for three months because we've hired it for three months. So that was how I started the flute. So it was never a burning desire for me to be a flute player, but that was what I got handed and I took to it and carried on. And I'm quite glad I don't play the clarinet now because I have a very dodgy right hand thumb and I don't think I would manage to hold it up. So, um, yeah, I played the, the, the flute all the way through. I didn't go to a particularly musical school. I didn't have a specialist flute teacher at all. 
was desperate to be in music in some way, but I didn't really know how that could happen. And actually went for a meeting with a careers advisor in school who said, well, I don't know anything about it, but I'll find out for you. And um, he then came back to me and said, the nearest music college is the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, and they do advice auditions. So you can go along and find out, you know, what they've got to offer and they'll give you an advice audition. So that's what I did. And then you know what came after that, because I was given your um, contact details and um, as a potential teacher. So I remember the day we drove over to Manchester from Liverpool. My mum and my dad were both with me. They'd taken the day off work. It was this big thing. And the whole thing was that you were auditioning me to see whether you would take me on. And um, I came in and I have no memory of the actual lesson, but I think I must have been okay because you then said you would take me on. And uh, I remember my mum bursting into tears when I told her. Oh, how lovely knew that I was so desperate to, to find a, a great teacher. And um, so, yeah, so then I worked with you. Um, you were a very thorough teacher and put me through my paces and managed to get a place at the RNCM. And um, so, yeah, RNCM, I didn't have a great time there. I, I made some wonderful friends who are lifelong friends. I found the kind of knock you down to build you back up approach at that time not great for me because I didn't have the biggest self-confidence when I went there I hadn't been to a music school or you know I hadn't I was kind of a way behind everybody else so that really didn't work for me and I got quite sort of um uh probably unconfident um but I loved 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 playing in the orchestra and I knew as soon as I did that that that's what I wanted to do so, yeah, so I, I think that that formed a lot of my ideas on teaching, actually. I, I taught kids when I was 15, when I was the kind of senior member of my youth orchestra. Kids would um, sort of ask me, can you help me with this and can you help me with that? And they would come around to the house and I would help them out. And I really enjoyed sort of passing that on. And when I was learning with you, I was passing on my knowledge to some younger players etc and as soon as I got to college I got a Saturday morning teaching job and you know and I, I, I feel that the kind of way that we were taught in the old days I'm sure it's absolutely completely different now but I feel that that informed me how to what to avoid when I was teaching because I'm always I hope I hope my pupils may be able to um, testify to that but I really hope that I'm quite a positive teacher and I try to build people's confidence rather than knock out of them so that's that's what I got out of that and also of course played some great music met some great friends um yeah so after college I ended up in Glasgow for sort of family reasons um and have settled there ever since brought my kids up here they are Glaswegian and um Glasgow has been really really good to me you know I've I, my whole my whole career has been um, from Glasgow um, so played with all the Scottish orchestras built up a big teaching practice and sort of still going really albeit uh, behind a computer screen. <laughs> so if you it sounds like it, it all worked out it's, it's interesting how the teaching back then because I had the same experience was very much you know, a, quite an aggressive form of teaching in which you were meant to sort of fight back and get stronger. And it's 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 something that um, I've come to understand that if now if you if you if someone is enjoying what they're doing, they learn in a much better way. Yeah. And it shouldn't be a fearful experience. It should be an enlightening experience. It should be something that you want to go back and do again and again and again. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And it's certainly something that you've been very successful doing. So I'm assuming that if you were to go back, would you have done anything differently or are you still happy to have had that that basic training at the Northern and it set you up? Um, it's interesting. I, I, I've... I'm a very sort of what if person actually, and I've always kind of gone, but what if I'd done that or what if I'd done that? But ultimately there's not really much point, point is there in thinking what if, because we are where we are and I'm every every single thing that happens to you when you, you're going through life kind of informs you. And I think it's what you take from it and what you learn from it that's important. Um, had I known what I, what I found out about that experience there, Maybe I would have chosen a different conservatoire, but then maybe it would have been the same there. Maybe that was just the way the teaching was then. We, um, I, I probably, if I could go back, I would, or if I could talk to my younger self, I'd probably say, just have a bit more confidence, you know, just just have a bit more confidence and believe in yourself that you can do it. Yeah. <gasps> but what's what's really good is that you, it, as what you said, is that if the most important thing is to 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 learn from it, maybe learn how you would do things in a better way and differently and grow from it rather than be ruined by it sort of thing yes yes so yes. Which, which flute players inspired you at the time um well you know I grew up like everybody else at that time listening to Galway and and yeah. watching those fingers move so fast and his golden flute and all of that and I remember going to the Philharmonic Hall in Liverpool and I don't even remember what he was playing or and the orchestra was completely incidental at that point. And probably it was maybe a Tara Benthoven playing and I should have paid more attention. But I was just all about looking at him and his golden flute and seeing how fast he can move his fingers. And I always aspired. I've always had a problem with fast fingers. I've got hypermobile joints and they're a bit too bendy and my wrists are a bit too bendy. And I've, I've always found the technical side of flute playing difficult and I've always kind of you know worked on the um you know making the the sound and the musicality the the thing about my flute playing that people notice because I think that the technique will will never would never was never going to be as good as I I wanted it to be so yeah so I remember that and then I sort of progressed to listening to Rampal I absolutely loved Rampal um I listen back to him now and it's really quite old-fashioned playing but I just his phrasing just really, I, I just loved it. Um, it's interesting when you go back and listen to it. Certainly I do this. I go back to recordings that really inspired me all those years ago. And it's not necessarily finding fault, but it's finding that it's a different sort of style, but but yeah. just wonderful. He he yeah. had some incredible recordings. Yeah. yeah. Lovely to go back to. What about nowadays? Who inspires you nowadays? I was thinking about this. I, I mean, in terms of flute, you know, I adore Powerhood. I, I just, I, I, every recording I listen to of his, I think, oh, that's how I would want to do it, you know? I love it. I love that he's a, a fabulous orchestral player and he brings that kind of wholeness into his solo playing. It's not too flashy. It's just, uh, just under, under, you know, understanding of the music, really, I think. It's all about the music. I think now what I appreciate in a flute player is someone that plays the music rather than the flute. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing it to, to express the music rather than show you how good they are at playing the flute. 
And um, I like that about him. A great young player, Adam Walker. Uh, you know, I uh, his his album vocally, I love that. But I would say that by and large, I don't listen to a lot of flute music because I'm listening to flutes all day. Things that really inspire me sort of phrasing-wise tend to be more um, singers, you know. I, I just love to listen to... Barbara Streisand, Mel Torme. But when I was growing up, Queen was were my absolute all-time favourite band. I used to travel around the country on buses, going to their gigs and stadiums. And in fact, when they were still quite small, I went to see them at the Liverpool Empire Theatre. And um, Freddie Mercury's voice and his musicality was just, yeah, I just, I just loved that. Um, so yeah, I think that's more, you know, what I would listen to now, Ella Fitzgerald, you know, this kind of thing. That's and that's what I try to get my students to listen to because they're all about listening to recordings of a flute player playing a piece that they're learning, and I'm trying to teach them about how to phrase and how to feel the music. I send them off to listen to a cellist or a singer or. I was listening to Gareth from the LSO, his podcast, and he said, you know, he fell into flute and he sees himself more as a musician than a flute player. And I kind of related to that because I think I I fell into flute as well because it was all they had in the shop. And then I've kind of used that to become a musician rather than being an obsessive flute player, if that makes sense. I I certainly wish that that was sort of the the focus in the training these days that it was sort of you know embrace music as a general thing rather than just very sort of pigeonholed into the flute yes yeah. you yeah. can miss out on an awful lot exactly so, okay so you've got uh, lots of teaching going on you've got lots of performing going on i would like to touch on your flute choir and yes. i'd like to talk, you to talk to us about your flute choir before lockdown and then talk about what you're doing now in lockdown. So tell us how it started. Okay, well, um, I started off, I I was like a challenge, you know, if I'm going along doing my teaching, doing a few gigs, and I think I'd really want something to kind of get that adrenaline going. And I I started organizing some flute days um, in Glasgow and Edinburgh. I got venues, I sort of advertised it, had about, 30 or 40 flute players come along, had guests coming, did a bit of yoga, did some ensembles, and then we would always finish with a, a mass flute choir piece. And I I loved putting that together and just hearing what you could do in the space of a, you know, a couple of hours, having parents coming to listen to it at the end and saying, wow, you've done all that in, in a day. I mean, and it's quite a skill to kind of work out what you can get away with, with, with the players, you know, finding something that they can play easily, sight readable, but will sound impressive and all of that kind of thing. So I enjoyed doing that. And um, that was always people's favourite part of the day so I I then thought you know I also had a lot of students who were coming through getting their grade eight and then going off to university to study something completely different not going on to do music but they got themselves to a high standard they wanted to continue playing and of course as soon as you leave school you don't have school band anymore or school orchestra or any of those things available to you anymore and um I thought, you know, there's really a a place in Glasgow for something like that where they can just... Because, of course, an amateur orchestra or an amateur band, they only need two or three flutes. And and there's always, you know, more flute players than you can fit into an an orchestra. 
uh, professionally as well as on an amateur level. So I just thought, okay, flute, flute choir, let's start a flute choir. So along with a couple of my university students at the time, one of whom actually is still very much involved, we just went about setting it up. It was 2011, I believe, we, we set it up. And we started in the local bowling club. They charged us £10 or something, to, or £15 maybe, to hire a room. And um, we just had one rehearsal. It went well. Um, and then we just made... We, we don't do it every week of the school term. We've always done it in sort of blocks, or maybe do a block of eight weeks, and then something at the end of it, a concert or whatever, and then we'll do that three times a year. Um, so, yeah, it just went from strength to strength. And... Um, Actually, for the first probably eight or nine years, I did absolutely everything. I sort of sourced the music, I did the photocopying, I did all the emailing, I booked the halls. Um, the only thing I didn't do was make the tea, I managed to delegate that. But um, it, it sort of, I didn't really expect it to be so successful and go on for so long. So, at the, you know, after, after sort of eight or nine years, I kind of said, Right, okay, you need to help me here. You know, we need to get this a bit more professionalised. And so we've now got a great committee. We've got, a, you know, a secretary, a treasurer, um, a librarian and um, a chair of the committee and a few other people and somebody in charge of fundraising, etc. So it's running a little bit more professionally now and I can concentrate on the content of what we do. Just concert flutes or do, have you got altos? No, we have. Well, we started off with concert flutes and... A couple of altos but we've now got um we, we, i mean we run on a shoestring people pay a small sub and then we sort of collect money at concerts which obviously hasn't been happening this year um but we managed to get a couple of bass flutes from um a, a band in ireland that was folding and so they're, they're really old and rickety but they're they're okay they add a bit of bass end and we've bought a couple of altos as well over the years so we have got we're absolutely absolutely desperate to get a contrabass but they you know the saving up for that is very slow so if anyone listening would like to donate a contrabass flute to flutes unlimited we would love that we'd love that sort of low, low end you know we've had we have kind of collaborated with groups who've had um big 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 flutes and um we've really enjoyed that so that's the next goal yeah so in a normal year we would rehearse towards um, a competition in March, the Glasgow Music Festival. We enter that and um, have managed to win it on quite a few occasions. And uh, that's been great fun. The, the, the group love to play. It's the Glasgow Royal Concert Hall on the stage. So that's a big, you know, it's a big venue and a big stage. And it's very exciting for people to get the chance to do that. So we, we, we do that in March. We usually have a sort of preparatory concert for that um, sort of February time, just to kind of run through our program to check it and everything and then the next thing we do is we work towards a summer concert so may or june um and then after that the next sort of concert in glasgow is usually uh, our christmas concert but we october is a month where we usually put something in like a trip somewhere or an exchange with another group so we've done some great things we've been as you know liverpool is my hometown so we've been we've had two great trips to Liverpool with a, a concert and sort of spending an extra day there doing the sights and etc and uh, I, I love that because I love to take people to my home city and show them how great it is 
And uh, so we've done that. We've had um, a collaboration with a group called Flutes & Co in Cumbria. And we've been down to do a lovely concert in Kendall, actually a joint concert with them. They came up the following year and did a concert with us in October in Glasgow. And then we were due to go last October um, back to the lake. So we're trying to make it an annual thing. So obviously that didn't happen. We had an online collaboration instead, which I'll tell you about. And yeah, what else? We had a collaboration actually with um, a group from the Faroe Isles, which was absolutely wonderful. They came down and they they were great, a small group, but they incorporated singing and bits of percussion and all sorts of things of really interesting Faroese music. So we did a joint concert with them, which was wonderful. We have occasional guests coming to do classes or a guest conductor or whatever but it's mainly me conducting badly and uh, and but hopefully I mean how I like to do it is is to coach them I'm not a conductor but I like to kind of make it a a kind of learning experience as well as working towards the pieces I try to talk a lot about sound and tuning and flexibility and intonation and all sorts of intonation and tuning is the same thing but um how do you pick your repertoire what sort of repertoire do you have is it is it a, a mixture of styles and genres it is um well our huge favorite of course is mel oris who does the most wonderful arrangements for flute choir you know just that's why listen this is mel oris of wonderful winds yeah i mean they just work they just always always work and we love them um uh we actually commissioned a piece from her um, for our 10th anniversary, which was, uh, we, we wanted to have a Scottish feel, so we sent her some kind of ideas of Robert Burns' songs, and um, she listened to them, and she um, sort of chose three of them and made a kind of medley of the three of them, and we actually had a competition to name the piece. Um, so the the piece is called A Love, A Lad and A Lassie, and it's an it's absolutely beautiful piece. Um, we've it's up on our SoundCloud actually. If anyone wants to hear it, it's it's really a, a lovely piece. So, Flutes Unlimited. If you actually if you go to the Flutes Unlimited website, there'll be a link to it there. Flutes Unlimited. Dot co. Oh my goodness, I really should know the web address. Is it dot co. uk or dot com? Flutesunlimited. co. uk. There's a few little links to performances. Some of our lockdown performances are on there as well, actually. And there's a link to SoundCloud. So let's talk about the the lockdown we've all had. You've managed to keep the choir going. How have you done that? Okay, so um, we the the lockdown happened. Um, just after we did a concert, I was telling you we do a preparatory concert before the Glasgow Music Festival. So we did a concert in a golf club um, where one of our members was the chair of the ladies um, golf. I, well, you're a golfer. Is it yeah. the ladies, ladies section of the golf club? Anyway, she was the chair and she wanted to. Th- these are her two great hobbies, flute and golf. So she exactly. <laughs> so she organized a concert for us in the golf club. So we did we did the concert um, went down a storm. The golfers loved it. And then I said to everyone, OK, I'll see you next Sunday. We've got one last rehearsal before the festival. I'll listen to the recording, do a bit of tweaking. And then that next rehearsal never happened. It just all took off, you know, from from there. Glasgow Music Festival was cancelled. 
I, uh, we, uh, sadly, I lost my father in April um, to COVID. So I wanted a little bit of a break. Uh, I didn't want to start the online session straight away. Um, some of the members organized some weekly quizzes and that sort of kept them together. I think they did a, about an hour a week um, on a Sunday at what would be our normal time. And I popped in every now and again. And they just made it a sort of sociable thing, but they they were they were all turning up and enjoying it and really wanted to keep something going. So after the summer, yeah, September, we started in earnest. Um, and to be honest, I was you know I really didn't know where to start, and I spent a lot of time sort of thinking about how could we make this work because you obviously can't play together. So I thought, well, I'll get. Uh, I'll get a sort of theme running through all the rehearsals and we'll pick a piece that we want to learn. Obviously, when you're having a real rehearsal, you're working on maybe three or four pieces. I thought, we'll just pick one piece. We'll make it quite a challenging one and we'll work on it. um, And that will be the end goal for people to learn their parts, have some little sectionals and then make one of these kind of virtual performance videos. So... We picked a piece called La Mastery Jigsaw by Gareth McLennan um, because it had some kind of extended techniques and things like that. And I thought it might be quite fun. He was super helpful and he came on and did a session on all the little, you know, the jet whistles and the bits and pieces they need to be able to do to play the piece. And, And it was quite a sort of interactive workshop. So that was great. He also made us a guide video. So the, the theme of each week was to try and do a little bit more of the, the piece, but then we also um, invited guests along um, to talk to us. So we had, I mean, Gareth did a couple of sessions and then we had um, a fantastic woman called Joy from Haynes Flute who kind of di- dialed in from the States and gave us a, a little workshop on cleaning your flutes properly during the pandemic and also little tweaks and repairs and things which that was just great because people were really you know asked a lot of questions and really she she had a she had a two cameras so she had a little close-up on the flute so she could show us you know how to do this screw and that so that was great um we had Stephen Clark, who's a you know Scottish flute player, who's kind of a friend of the flute choir. He's worked with us before, and he came on to talk about his book, the Flute Gym book, and took everyone through those exercises. Um, so that was great. We had um, I'm just I, I did make a list of all the things we did so that I could so in case I forgot anything. But yeah, we 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 had that um, the the sort of visitors and the. Um, the working on the one piece we also had um, people would just play a piece you know we would just say who wants to play next week and they'd put a backing track on and play and then towards the end of that uh, at the very last session or towards the end of it I asked people if they could send me recordings of them playing or collaborate with other people and do a duet or a trio and we would make up a concert so we made up a sort of virtual concert for the last and session at Christmas, so just people playing Daft Christmas carols, and I put it all together on iMovie, so it looked a bit like a concert. And um, so in the last session, we had just like a Christmassy quiz, and then we invited people to come in to the Zoom call, so just family, friends, and they came in and we showed our virtual concert. And that was, it was actually lovely. It was, it was, you know, the nearest thing we had managed to do 
to a concert since February. So people enjoyed that. And then they really, you know, when it became obvious we weren't going to be able to get back to rehearsals, they all really wanted to, to continue after Christmas. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's one of the big pros of this, of Zoom, is that you can have guests from all over the world yeah, come to your food yeah. bar, which yeah. you wouldn't, on any other normal circumstances, you, you wouldn't have done. So it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a real bonus yeah, um, yeah. that you might not have done otherwise. Absolutely. So, I mean, I asked for some feedback after those initial sessions. It was getting a little bit easier for me because at first I was just looking at a, a screen of silent people who weren't particularly interacting. But by the end of the, the, the set of sessions, people were t- unmuting and talking a little bit more. And we always had a, a, a tea break because the tea breaks were the big thing with our sort of live rehearsals that somebody would bring cake and we would always have a tea break that probably was a bit too long for a two-hour rehearsal, but we enjoyed that. So we always have a tea break and we try and have a little chat and it is getting easier. People are more comfortable online now. So, But the feedback that I got was that they, they loved it, they loved the guests, but they wanted to play their flutes a bit more because that's what they came to the rehearsals to do normally and they would like to play more. So I had to kind of think about how I was going to change things a bit that people could play their flutes more. So um, I got a, a, a series of, actually my son who's a singer gave me a lot of singing warm-ups and um, between us we sort of transcribed them for flute so that we're in the right registers for flute just warm-ups that go through every key, the usual thing, but kind of maybe like a bit of an ABBA song or a, a BG song or a bit of a musical or something, some quite nice tunes. And I got a friend of mine to do some backing tracks for those. So at the start of the rehearsal now, we have a really good warm-up where I play the backing tracks and people are sort of, you know, doing their warm-up. Um, and I've also managed, I sort of made the... The, the slot where people play, I made it a sort of, you know, meet the team type thing. So I asked people to actually talk about themselves a bit as well. And I, I feel, you know, we've actually got to know each other a little bit better because in rehearsals, people tend to stick to their own little groups and the tea break and, t- you know, chat away to each other. But actually we've all, you know, been asking each other questions and, um, you know, if somebody plays a piece, tells people a little bit about their history, flute history and other things, and then people will ask questions. So it's been quite a nice way of making it a little bit more informal and people get to, to know each other. And then um, we've been doing, um, well, I called it flute karaoke, but one of the members decided it should be called flutioke. So that's what it is now. So I've got this um, fantastic resource called Tom Play, which I um, sort of took out a year's subscription to. And it's, it's wonderful because it's got lots and lots and lots of music with backing tracks already. Some of them are orchestral, some of them are like a big band. You know, you can play Pink Panther with big band. Um, some of them are piano, some of them are flute duets, and I mean, this is overall instruments. We're just using the flute section of it. But um, so what I do is I open it up, I put it up on the screen, and they can see the music. Um, I'm not sending them this music in advance. This is something you have to have a subscription to, so I can't I can't send it to them. But they can see it on the screen, and you just click, and the backing track will start, and it counts you in. And actually, there's a little pink line that goes along so that 
you know that you're in the right place in the music and the, a couple of people have said oh, can we introduce that pink line somehow when we go back to rehearsals because I never get lost when the pink line's there so so we have a good session at the end of the rehearsal where we're all playing um, I've got a sort of playlist and people will pick what they want to do next and um, yeah so that's that's actually I think people are really enjoying that now that, that they're actually playing a bit more and I sort of felt that because I couldn't hear them, I couldn't really help them with their playing. So we would do more educational things, but I think it needs to be a combination of both because some people, they're busy, they're doing other jobs or they're at school or whatever. And the only time they really get a chance to play for a good period of time is that rehearsal on a Sunday night. Sounds like you've got a, a great mix there. What about the future? What have you, have you, started planning for when we're a bit freer well i was hoping that our last rehearsal which i think is the 6th of june if that's a sunday that that would have been where we could have maybe come together and just had a last you know the last session would be actually um live but i've i've looked at the guidelines and i don't think that's going to happen and i don't even think it can happen outside i know a lot of flu- choirs i'm on that kind of flute choir forum actually um that people have been sharing ideas a lot of flute choirs in in england um and particularly the south of england they've been doing things outside but you know the scottish weather is pretty unpredictable (laughs) and we couldn't really plan unless we were absolutely sure we couldn't really plan anything outdoors and you're not even allowed to do that at the moment so yeah so i think we'll just be online until june and then we will just really hope that when we start back again we always take the summer off anyway so just hoping that by september we'll be in some way allowed to to meet um in such a church hall we're not normally meeting but there is also a big church building so if we need to be more spread out we could probably move into somewhere like that or just hoping we can get back to our sort of routine of concerts and organise our trip down to Cumbria that we missed out on. We had we had a lovely joint session with them actually at the weekend. We should have been visiting them and we all came on and, and had a little chat and played some flutey together. So uh, that was nice. You do so many other things in your career um, and you, you also run flute courses, don't you? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, well, uh, Flutes du Soleil, um, the giveaway is in the, in the name, it's in France, up in the Alps. Last year should have been our 10th anniversary um, of Flutes du Soleil, but unfortunately that obviously didn't happen. We've just obviously had to cancel this year's as well, or postpone. So next year, all being well, will be the 10th Flutes du Soleil in actually the 12th year. Um, we hire a ski chalet up in Haute-Savoie. Um, Grand Bonheur is the nearest nearest sort of town. And we, um, we have a kind of variety of rooms downstairs. There are some bunk rooms and upstairs there are some sort of slightly posher twin rooms. And um, we've also got a little flat that we, we rent. If people want single rooms, we can put them in a little flat just, just along the road. So we, we have people of all ages and standards come to that. Um, the idea behind that was that I, um, as you know, I attended flute courses myself. And they were very scary and very um, geared towards people who wanted to become musicians. I mean, I loved them and I, I knew that was the path I wanted to go on. But I think 
some of my students had found some flute courses a little bit intimidating, um, quite competitive. They were surrounded by people that were obviously destined for the profession. And there wasn't really room for people who just wanted to get better at the flute but didn't necessarily want to become a flute player so the idea behind it was I mean if you look at the website it's it's all about this is a no pressure course this is about having fun you'll learn in a supportive environment in the mountains beautiful beautiful scenery outside on the deck you know so that's that was the goal behind it and I think we've been successful we have people that come back year after year after year um and uh, so we're doing something right, I hope. Uh, we've got a little nice relationship going with the community there and we'll do, you know, a couple of outdoor concerts. We go and play in a mountain top cafe um, outside. We play for all the diners at lunchtime and then in return they give us a, a lovely lunch. So that's something we do. Um, we start the day, I, I do a lot of yoga and um, I did a year of yoga teacher training. So I, I start the day with a, a yoga session before breakfast, just very gentle, you know, stretching and breathing and things. So that kind of, that always gets a, a big tick when, when we do the feedback forms. People, even if they've never done yoga before, they like that kind of half an hour of, um, you know, doing some nice breathing and relaxing. And then we have breakfast and then we do, we do kind of three sessions of flute things. It's, it'll either be a technique class or a masterclass style, or it'll be ensembles. And um, then that's the sort of morning then after break, then in the evening. But in the um, afternoon, we always do an activity like go for a swim or go for a walk, totally optional. Some people choose to stay and read their book or whatever. Um, we go to the market and have a look at all the, you know, what French markets are like, fantastic. So we do that. And then we have an evening activity as well. We'll have a quiz or a film night or tutor's concert or the last night as a talent show so people have to do anything but play the flute you know so we've had all sorts of things going on there so it's a great week and you know you, you sort of start off the week with everyone being a little bit awkward and not knowing each other and kind of go around the, introducing each other and by the end of the week there's all best of friends and you know I remember what that felt like myself when I was younger going away on youth orchestra courses and things it's just such a, a kind of um, it's all consuming when you're there and you just you, there's nothing else to do or nothing else to worry you you just do that and it's, it's, a, it's a great week. I'm assuming there's no course this year but next year next summer. Yes next summer flutesdesolet.com I can tell you the date. It's loosetosoleil.com. And and your personal website? Is kuipers.co.uk. On your own website, they can find out all about the course as well. There's, there is a link from my... Oh, I'm just checking. I've told you the right web address. Yes. <laughs> I get very mixed up between .co.uk and .com. And kuipers.co.uk is definitely my website. And there's there's links on there to Flutes Unlimited and Flutes to Soleil, actually. Fingers, fingers crossed that it, it all goes ahead. Now, just before we say goodbye to you, we should ask some of our um, more, more general questions, like um, what's your favourite genre of music? I really don't think I can answer that because 
I just love good music. And like I was saying, you know, anything that's kind of soulful and beautiful. I, I, I Queen, you know, I was I was a bit of a rocker. I loved Queen and Led Zeppelin and, you know, when I got to college, I got heavily into Mahler, you know. <laughs> um, I love Bach so much. One of my favourite things to play, you know, is, is, you know, the Bach, you know, the, the B minor mass, the St. Matthew Passion. I actually, one of my, this may be another question, but one of my absolute all-time highlights um, was playing in a backing orchestra for Mel Tomei and George Shearing which was just the most heavenly experience. I don't remember anything about what I played, but I just remember listening to that sound and Mel Tomei's voice was just like velvet, you know? So that's, yeah, that's the kind, you know, I just love, I love to listen to jazz. I, I don't listen to very much classical music. And then I think I turn on Radio 3 and I think, why, why do I not listen to this more? Because it's wonderful. But I think when it's your job, you know, you tend to do something else yep. for relaxation. And what would you say was your the hardest flute piece you played? The hard, I think I probably avoid very hard flute pieces to be honest. But the hardest, <laughs> I think the hardest orchestral piece I've played is Shostakovich Ten on a piccolo. Oh yes, oh yes. Which I didn't have very much notice because your friend of mine, Janet, who plays piccolo in the RSNO, was. Um, going off on maternity leave the week after Shostakovich 10, but then um, suddenly it all changed and she went off the week before Shostakovich 10 instead. So I, it was a bit of an emergency call, so I didn't have very much time to practice it. It was, um, it was absolutely, it was an incredible experience to play that piece and uh, to prepare for it, but it was very difficult. What about if you hadn't been a musician? What do you think you'd have been doing? I was thinking about this and I, I have never, ever thought about doing anything else because I just knew that that's what I wanted to do from a very early age. Um, I loved art at school. I was I was doing A-level art and A-level music. And in the end, it was too much to do both because they were both demanded a lot of practical time. So I made the choice to pull out of the A-level art because I don't think I would have got into music college, had I spent hours and hours and hours on my paintings as well. So that may have been something, although I don't know if I was a good enough artist to, to make it. I think it's very positive that the fact that so many of us knew from a very early age that all we wanted to do was play music, yeah. such yeah. a luxury, because so yeah. many sort of 16 to 18 year olds are totally confused about how they're going to sort of plan their careers and their life because they've got so yeah. many interests. So we're, we're yeah. very lucky in that respect, I think. Yeah. Andrea, it's been, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thanks for all your insight. There are so many people who are listening who are in flute choirs or run flute choirs or need help with flute choirs. It's been really, really good information that you've been giving on how you've coped with the pandemic and, and ideas of how to keep things running. I wish you all the success in the world with it and with your your course as well. I hope it gets up and running very, very soon. And um, thanks for chatting to us. Thank you very much. It's been fun. That was lovely to hear about Andrea and her work, especially her flute choir ideas. If you would like us to talk about something specific, then email us at flutepodcasts at gmail.com or message us on our social media pages at Claire Flute and at Flute for Twitter and Instagram and the Talking Flutes page on Facebook. Thanks as always for listening.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.